Let's thank the Lord for that today. Thank you so much for your generosity and your giving. Hey, that's my hometown, New Orleans. I'm born there, and uh, I used to talk like that lady did. It's a little, little Cajun accent there. I love how she said, we, we from New Orleans, we bounce back, we resilient. That's a sly way of saying, we'll catch you, like we coming for you, you know what I'm saying? We bounce back good. But man, I'm telling you, you're giving every time you give. We give 10% of our income that comes into the church through your tithing and giving. We give to nonprofits, missionary partners, church planners, and Convoy of Hope is one of our strategic partners. So literally, when that video says your giving has helped uh, take care of over 30,000 individuals after Hurricane Ida. It is absolutely true, as well as in Waverly. Convoy of Hope was on the ground. They, Pastor, or excuse me, Hal Donaldson, the president of Convoy of Hope, texted me and said, uh, the day before Ida hit, he said, we've already got 19 or 20 trucks fully loaded, waiting for the storm to pass through so we can get on the ground first with water and resources and everything that they need that we can do to help. And they're still sending trucks. They're still making an impact there. And your generosity helps them move forward. And I just want to say thank you for your giving. And we're a church that believes in tithing and we practice tithing as an organization where we give 10% away to partners like that. So thank you for your giving. I do want to let you know also back in August, we focus on this uh, 21 days of prayer. And coupled with that, we, we've prayed about Lord giving. How, how many days of our wages do you want us to give to help feed kids throughout the world? Again, with Convoy of Hope, with their Feed One program. And I just want to tell you, as of today, you're giving. You've given $166,921.84. Come on, let's give the Lord praise for that. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your generosity. You are feeding kids around the world through your giving, and it is absolutely making a difference. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, I'm excited for today. We are in week three of our parable series, and we're gonna be six weeks. This is a small group series. It's designed to go from the pulpit into a small group discussion this week. If you'll get on our website at any point this week, lifepointchurch.tv, there's a button there for small group discussions and sermon points and questions about the message is available for you online. And our goal for everyone in this church is to host or engage a conversation about the messages with somebody, whether you do it around your kitchen table with your family, do it in your cul-de-sac while you're grilling out tomorrow, or, or you and another person from work. We say the, the smallest small group is you and a who. Come on, right? And so we, we want to invite everybody to join in the discussion on these parables. And uh, first week we looked at the parable of the two sons or the prodigal son, and the last week was the parable of the good Samaritan. Man, there's still parts of that message I'm reworking in, and I preach the sermon that uh, I feel like the Lord's dealing with me in. That question of who is my neighbor, man, that's so honest, right? And then today we're looking at one of the parables, but I brought in one of my best friends in the whole wide world. He is a guy that I love to do life with. We talk all the time. He's on my favorites list of my texting. Come on, somebody. We talk all the time. He's been here. This is his fourth time preaching for us at LifePoint Church. You heard him. He and I hosted a panel last year when we were all digital and the whole church was shut down, but a, a panel on race, and he just helped bring so much clarity and change to our church in that conversation. And man, Pastor Wayne France is one of the greatest leaders and greatest pastors and communicators I know. I told Wayne, I said, this third crowd, they're going to rowdy, rowdy up and amen back. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Now look, the word today is strong, it's hard, it's in your face, but I want everybody to take a deep breath, say, I can take it, Pastor Wayne. No, that, that is not convincing at all, that is weak sauce. Come on, say it again, say, I can take it, Pastor Wayne. Hey, he pastors the Life Church in New York, outside of New York City in White Plains with his wife, Classy Francis. Would you do me a favor and give it up for Pastor Wayne Francis, everybody. Come on now. What's up, everybody? How you guys doing out there? Man, 
What an amazing looking crowd. Before we get into anything, I want to honor all of the volunteers of LifePoint Church that park cars, direct us to where we need to go, clean the bathrooms, deal with our kids, do the sound and the lighting, the worship team, everybody that's a volunteer here I think deserves a great big round of applause for everything you guys do to make our church excellent. Yeah. And I'm so thrilled to be with some of my best friends, pastors, Mike and Stephanie Burnett are amazing people, leaders that are making a difference, not only here in Clarksville, but around the country, around the world. And um, I just want us to honor them right now because they've been tremendous leaders and shepherds of you personally, but also providing great friendship and leadership to pastors all around the country. Why don't you give it up for your pastors right now? Love it. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. We are in the third installment of our teaching series called Parables. And as Pastor Mike just talked, we, we, we went through two weeks of parables in our sermon series so far. It's been great, right? You know what the funny thing is? There's not a lot of material out there about parables. There's not a lot of resources. I was preparing this message and, you know, I've looked all, there's a scarcity, there's a dearth of materials about parables. That's why I'm really excited to let you guys know that since there are no books out there, I got into the book market and I feel like this is an amazing resource that's going to be available to all of you. It's called Parable Pastor. Not, not a lot of materials out there. I mean, maybe the second installment could be called Parable Church. And, but for the meantime, you know, in your bookstore outside, we're looking forward to setting up a table, some merch, some materials around Parable Pastor. It's going to be amazing, okay? But, but let's get into the message so that we can all grow spiritually. Now, first off, let me just tell you, last week, I'm so excited because I got an invitation to my pastor's daughter's wedding. And I'm so stoked about it, man, because I'm a wedding guy. I love going to weddings. I love it so much. And I was very honored because my pastors are people that I hold in high esteem. And to be invited was a beautiful, amazing thing. And I'm super stoked because it's quite an honor because not only did they invite me, they invited my wife, of course, but our kids too, my two daughters. Because you know, most of the time people invite you and your spouse to a wedding, but como se dice? say weddings are expensive so, <laughs> so usually people are cheap you don't invite the people kids right but they invited the whole family and I'm excited because I'm a wedding guy I turn up at weddings I go in at weddings you ain't got to worry about the party popping if Wayne Wayne is in the house <laughs> look at me backing it up on my <laughs> Hey, you think I'm playing around? Let me show you another picture. Look at that face. That's what you know you ain't come to play games at the reception. All right, people? And you know when people are stiff and all that stuff? Not me. I get the conga line popping, dog. I'm, I'm the, I'll get y'all going. I'm like, let's go, baby. I love weddings. I'm one of those guys. In fact, we got married. Next week, we'll be celebrating 22 years of marriage. Yeah. Amazing. So good. We got married in New York, which is really expensive. It's literally taken me 21.5 years to pay off our wedding. <laughs> Wife's like, are you getting me a gift? No, I gave you a gift 21 years ago that we still paying for today. 
But after the hype of getting the wedding invitation, I was so stoked thinking about what am I going to wear? How am I going to swag out for this wedding? What are we going to do? I started to realize something. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. I live in New York. My pastor lives in Memphis. That's going to be an expensive trip. This ain't no business trip. I can't expense it. It's not a business trip. That means there's four tickets that I'm going to have to buy. That means a round-trip Uber cost. That means outfits for three ladies. That means a hotel stay. That means a car rental in Memphis. That means time. That means giving them a good wedding check gift because it's my pastor's daughter and I don't want to look cheap because he knows how much I make. (laughs) That also means... I'm going to be broke. So um, (laughs) with the invitation came a litany of expenses. The invitation was free, but it was going to cost me something. Have you ever been excited to respond to the invite for a party or perhaps a golfing or hunting trip? And then after you knee-jerkingly said, yes, you're all in, you started to count the cost of what the out-of-pocket expenses were going to be. You said yes really fast to be a bridesmaid, but you didn't know they were going to have a destination wedding. (laughs) If they would have told you it was going to be in Hawaii, you might have told a different kind of story about, you get what I'm saying, right? We all have been in situations where we haven't counted the cost. The opportunity didn't cause us to pause and consider Today we'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke, located in the Bible's New Testament. Luke was a follower of Jesus that ended up writing the ministry and the teachings and the the impact that Jesus had on the world. And he was a doctor, so it meant that he probably had bad handwriting. But we're going to read his words on the screen today, and it's going to be legible. So that's a great thing for us today. But to understand where we'll go in the excerpt of text that we're about to examine, you have to understand that Jesus begins Luke chapter 14 with a discourse about banquets, about a wedding feast, about a great party. And unless you can get that in your head, you won't really understand what Jesus is going to say to us today because it's weighty words. And Jesus starts talking about a wedding feast and the etiquette that one should have at a wedding feast, that you shouldn't try to sit in the highest seat of honor if you haven't been invited there. Jesus then starts weaving a story about a master that invites some people to come to a wedding, but everybody has excuses. They're all saying why they can't make it, why they can't come. And so this master now widens the invitation to a larger group of people, the maligned people, people that were blind, crippled, the lame. Because the master in the story, well, he's got coin. He's got dough. He's got guap. Do I have to say more analogies before somebody says, hey, man, I'm going to just talk about money. He's got the cheddar. He can make it rain. (laughs) The master in the story is not like me and my wife when we were getting married 21 years ago and our whole strategy for getting married was inviting people that could help us pay off our wedding. We're like, the Johnsons live in a nice house. They're going to give us a good, that's us. We're ratchet, we're ghetto. But not this master. He has this grand vision that includes anybody, 
everybody who wants to respond to the invitation to the banquet. And when we're reading about banquets in the text, it often is synonymous to the kingdom of God, to this wonderful opportunity where every tribe, every nation gets to celebrate in the presence of a benevolent God. God, in other words, has an invitation to all of us in this room and those joining us online. Regardless of where you land spiritually, regardless of what you believe about the Bible or Jesus today, the invitation is going to be provocative for every person. For those of us that are really cynical about faith and for those of us that would say that we're devoted followers of Jesus that have made him leader and Lord in our lives, what we're about to read is going to be shocking. And remember, Luke, who is a doctor, is giving us meticulous details into how this story plays out. In fact, he says the audience that was around Jesus was great. There were great crowds that accompanied him. And he turned to them, Jesus, to this crowd and says some profound words. Now listen, Jesus' ministry is attracting thousands of people. He is at the height of popularity in his culture and in his times. He's done miracles. He has taught some of the most eloquent sermons ever. He is trending on Twitter, y'all. It's a powerful moment, and for spiritual leaders, business owners, and musicians, service providers, this is exactly what we want, isn't it? Great crowds coming around, great crowds surrounding us because it's a symbol of accomplishment. It is perhaps the thing that we're looking for as business owners, which equates to revenues or at least relevance, significance. And once you acquire it, the last thing that you want to do is mess it up. The last thing you want to do after you get a crowd is disperse them with some stupid comment that will get you canceled. And yet for all, Jesus is speaking to a super religious audience of people. These people called the Pharisees that think that they're just better than everybody else. They think not only are they invited to the party, they are the reason for the party. And yet Jesus profoundly comes into their life, into their context, and he intersects with all of these people with a profound statement, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Now, for many of us, if we're included in that listening audience, including myself, it would be so easy to obey Jesus's words if he said, If you hate your father-in-law, your mother-in-law, your ex-wife, your stepchildren, your brother and sister-in-laws in in Jeff Bezos' life, come follow me. I'm like, I'm ready to go right now. I hate all of them, right? But that's not what Jesus says here. And in a culture that extols a version of love that can seem so sugary at best, Jesus comes with a comparison analysis that's powerful. He says, unless you hate your family and even your own life, don't even RSVP. He says, I want to be more than your people, your possessions, and even your own personhood, but especially in this culture that exalts our own personal identity above everything else. He says at the height of his career, at the height of his ministry, that I'm going to make the demands even more absolute, more exclusive, and more extreme. If you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. 
So what does Jesus mean by hate here? Because in our culture, we bristle against being a hater or expressing hate. Well, we're talking about a unique way that people in Jesus' time expressed preference. It's a Semitic expression for loving somebody less. So Jesus is saying, if you don't love me in comparison to your family, to your spouse, to yourself, where everything else is a distant second, you're not ready to follow me. He, in essence, is saying he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy than me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy than me. I can tell you that today in the text and in this room, we're going to have to consider something, that the invitation to this banquet is free, but it's still going to cost you something. And that's the paradox. It's free to accept the invitation, but it's costly to make the trip. It's costly to go from New York to Memphis, and just when we think we can relax a little bit, Jesus presses in a little bit further. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The word carry there or bear in the text actually means to put on pain, to put on suffering. If you're not willing to put on more pain, if you're not willing to put on more suffering, you're not ready to follow me as a disciple. Listen to me, everybody. There's nothing comforting about carrying a cross. And yet for all in our culture, it seems like we want to put on shoulder pads so that we don't have to feel the rubbing of wood against our raw shoulders. And Jesus says to an audience that would have been shocked about this comparison because they knew only criminals got executed. Jesus' invitation is a one-way destination to death. And it would have shocked them. And I wonder if it still shocks us. The word disciple actually means learner. A disciple is someone who is a student, someone who is a learner of Jesus. So Jesus was regarded as a rabbi because he had followers that followed his every move, that listened to everything that he said, tried to take the nuances and all of the details of what he was teaching, and they tried to implement it into their lives. That's what a disciple is. And many of us in this room and those joining us online, you're a believer, but I don't know for sure if you're a disciple. I'll tell you why. Because we love our relationships more than Jesus. We love our sports teams and leagues more than Jesus. Our shoulders are not raw from carrying our cross. Those of us who come to church weekly but do not bear our cross toward our workplaces on Monday, we cannot consider ourselves a disciple. Those who attend the life group but don't bear our own cross on their way to any place else in your community cannot be a disciple. Those who pray to pray at a church service or after watching a televangelist but do not bear bear their cross sacrificially and living for Jesus is not a disciple. Those of us who have a cross tattoo or a cross dangling from our earlobe or a necklace but do not bear a cross in a proverbial sense cannot be a disciple. Now, before you get offended, I'm not telling you that you're lost. I'm just saying you may not be a learner. Because a learner follows Jesus' every step, trying to integrate what he teaches into their day-to-day lives. We're doing this series to push us in how we follow Jesus, how we trust his leadership in our lives and in our church, and to shape the way we follow his teaching. So I'm here to push us. I'm here to instigate transformation in your life. Because today, consideration isn't costly, but discipleship is. If there's anything that you need to know is that consideration isn't costly, but discipleship is. Jesus knows that many of us are specialists at getting things cheaper. 
With the advent of the internet, some of us know how to get everything cheaper than what we want to spend. Especially this kind of thing moves into our spiritual lives. Some of us are professional cost comparers. Some of us are professional cost cutters. I'll go a little bit further. Some of us are coupon Christians. You're just trying to figure out how you can get the best price in your spiritual life, but get the most expansive experience still. So our spirituality has now been formed by this low-cost approach with a desire to have a high-cost experience. It's not that there's anything wrong with being contemplative, but in our grow-quick church culture, maybe many of us have not presented or been presented with a decision that is going to cost you everything. Listen to me, everybody. Consideration isn't costly, but discipleship can literally be deadly. Because something's going to have to die for you to follow Jesus. And the paradox is something has to die in order for you to experience full life. Because discipleship and its demand is so costly, it has to invite us to slow down and think about it for a while. Over a decade or so ago, my wife and I were able to build our first home after getting married and living, you know, in Indianapolis. We bought our first home and it was exciting because we built it from the ground up. It makes you feel bougie. When you can pick out the faucet... When you can get what kind of carpet you want. When you can say, hey, I want French doors on my bathroom. We're going through and we're just chewing gum. We bougie. We all brand new. We think we better than everybody else, right? And then we sit in the real estate agent office and they start listing the price. Let me just tell you something. You could go from granite countertops to Formica real quick. You'd be like, can I cut my chicken on the, the, the formica like the granite? They're like, yes, give it a formica. Do you know what I'm saying? Because when you count the cost, it's something else. Because nobody wants to be house poor. Jesus goes from this analogy, and remember, everything is this invitation to a banquet. And he says, if you're going to get to this banquet, you're going to have to consider how to build. In fact, he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. The key phrase here is desiring to build. Because all of us in this room and those of you joining online, we all have this desire, an innate thing inside of us that wants to build. Maybe it's a home or a family, a great career, or perhaps even a marriage. There are some that are joining us in this room today to build a new practice is something that's inspiring you where you can impact the health and wellness of patients. I desire to build a great church in New York, but the precursor to a banquet in this context is considering what you're going to have to build. So let me ask you, when was the last time you pondered about the sacrifice that the cause of Christ is going to take in your life? and what you need to do to build a life that will scaffold his interaction with us. How much has the call of Christ altered your life? And many of us desire to build a life that's full and holistically healthy, but we find out that it's so evasive because we don't want to sacrifice. And in our 21st century, westernized, American version of Christianity, we have counted the cost of Christ as a joke. 
If we're honest, we think about the Vietnamese young man that went viral on YouTube because he was counting that song you ever see, one, two, three, four. Everybody thinks it's really, really funny, but counting the cost is not comical. In fact, counting the cost takes contemplation. The literal phrase in that text seems to suggest that in order for you to complete a task, you need to contemplate, to take time, to look at how much time is going to be invested or spent, physical effort expanded, and also relationships that are going to be impacted before you make a choice. The question is, what are you willing to build to enjoy the banquet? Because I can tell you, consideration isn't costly, but discipleship is it is now now for us in new york i'm very excited after 11 years of pastoring we're building our first building we're in the process right now construction has begun and it's amazing for us to have that as a permanent space going from portable to permanent but for any of us that have ever built a home, and of course the church has been built because of the sacrifice of many of you that are watching online and in this auditorium, you know one thing about construction. It always takes longer and costs more than you expected. And when it comes to spiritual growth and development and relational growth and development, it always takes longer and it costs more than, it ex than we expect. When we signed the contract for that building, it was a totally different cost last year than it is now because prices are totally different on materials. Can I tell you today that Jesus is saying when it comes to building healthy spiritual lives, it's always going to take longer. This is one of the reasons why maybe some of us are struggling still to forgive or struggling to heal or struggling to overcome because it always takes longer and it takes more than expected. And as Jesus is calling us to build, he twists some things and makes us Think about a new way of how we have to acquire this banquet that may be relevant to those of us in Clarksville here. Because you not only have to build, but you got to battle. Jesus says, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? In other words, we all have battles that we have to consider every single day. As simple and as trivial as being married and battling your wife for what you're going to watch on Netflix this week. For some of us, we know the battle for the remote control. It, it might be if you're a parent, it's a battle to get your kids to do anything. And for some reason, it's even harder to get them to do anything when they're in a Target or Walmart. It seems like there's a battle all the time. And so many of us are not growing spiritually because we keep battling forgiving somebody. And we just bail out because it costs a whole lot on our emotional values and our emotional deposits. Battling, submitting our preferences to the greater cause of Christ is one of the things that we constantly lose on because the kingdom is always asking us to go to the next level. Consideration isn't costly, but discipleship is. And maybe this is the reason why Jesus presses in for the third time and he says something so profound and so shocking he says so therefore any one of you every one of you any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple three times Jesus has said how you can't be my disciple and in a culture where we're so used to everybody telling us what we can be and what we can do and you should be able and you can't Jesus comes and says you can't be my disciple unless you're ready to renounce everything. Listen to me, everybody. Becoming a disciple of Christ is not about what you can add more of to your life. It's about what we can subtract from our lives. 
That is what we're hearing here. The definition for renouncing is formally declaring one's abandonment or a claim or a right or a possession to reject or stop using or consuming something. When was the last time in your faith that you started renouncing some things in your life, giving up your authority, taking up a different claim instead of a claim for your own, rejecting or stopping the use or the, cons the consumption of something for free? See, as a church, we've been really great at rebuking others but having a hard time in renouncing ourselves. This call of Christ, it makes everything in life a distant second, which means that we have to carry our cross, that we have to hate our own life, that we have to prefer our brother, that we have to prefer other people before ourselves, that we have to be willing to give up our possessions and our personhood and even our people to follow Jesus. So if you want to make this practical in your day-to-day -day life, if you're saying, well, how do I weave this message so far in my life tomorrow morning? Well, I'm going to make it simple for you. Read your Bible and do what it says. Because here's the truth, Jesus is revealed in the scriptures. And if you want to be a learner, which is a disciple, you have to follow him through the scriptures and then integrate exactly what he says in his word in your day-to-day -day life. Because life is all about what we build and what we battle so that we can enjoy this great banquet at some point. Why? Because the essence of a disciple is to be a learner. And it's sadly common for so many believers to go years with following Jesus and not even invite one friend into a relationship with Christ or to our church. Jesus calls us to a life that is expansive and beautiful, but it's also expensive and it's burdensome at times. I'm from the Bronx. Can you tell? And I love this one rapper. His name is Fat Joe. He's amazing. He got this song all the way up. All the way up. It's really awesome. It, 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 it's great for weddings too. So, so he, he went viral again recently for a little quip when he was on an Instagram live. He was on this Instagram live and he was saying, yesterday's price is not today's price, yo. Yesterday's price ain't, and he's just gangster with it. You know what I'm saying? Yesterday's price ain't today's price. And I loved it. Because when it comes to discipleship, yesterday's price is not today's price. Yesterday, what you were willing to sacrifice is not today's sacrificial price. Yesterday's price. Let me ask you a question. Do you receive more ministry from this church than you invest into this church? Because yesterday's price is not today's price. Listen to me. It's all going up. Many of us think that we can have this fixed rate mortgage spirituality. It's like I locked in my percentage when I said yes to Jesus years ago, and I'm just going to live at that percentage. And some of us are so cheap, we're trying to refi <laughs> the percentage that we had already. How can I experience a great faith with low commitment? How can I get more out of my church without investing in my church? How can I get more out of my marriage without investing more communication and more date nights? We are the people that don't want to be discipled by making denials and delays. And Jesus says, yesterday's price ain't today's price. Cost of living has gone up. 
And many of us know what that feels like in our workplaces as you see expenses going higher. Have you ever used a cost of living indicator? <laughs> you go move someplace else and you go on the interwebs <laughs> and you're trying to find out, look, you could go do this after service. Type in Clarksville, Tennessee to Manhattan and look at the price difference. You'll be living in Clarksville to the day you die. Because what a cost of living calculator does is it shows us the chasm of where we are to where we want to be. The gospel, the gospel is a cost of living indicator where you put in where you are now and where you ultimately want to be in the presence of God, nearer to Jesus, heaven, all these different things. And then it tells you exactly what you have to give up in order to get to live in the other context. So it says, I currently live here, but I want to live here. Here's what you got to do. And some of us are currently living in bondage and we want to live in freedom, but the indicator is telling us that we're going to have to give up certain friends and habits and addictions and hang-ups to get to where we want to be. Some of us are living in anxiety right now. You want to live in a place of joy, but you're not willing to let go of some things that are holding you back, robbing you from the life that God is trying to give you. I feel like preaching in this place now. My God! Some of us want a better life, but you're not willing to pay the cost for it. And Jesus is saying, hey, you can consider things and it's not costly. But if you're going to follow me, there is a price. Self-abandonment costs something. Discipleship costs something. It's a high cost for you to be a follower of Jesus. And if it ever felt easy and simple, it might be because you're a believer, but you're not a disciple. And there's a difference. The invitation, remember, here it is. The invitation is to the banquet. There's a great banquet. Everybody can get to it. And Jesus gives a promise. He says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, watch this, with persecutions. <laughs> In this age, but to come eternal life. Listen to me, everyone that's joining in online and in this auditorium at our locations. We have to give up everything for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of Christ, not for us to inject ourselves with some form of easy ways of living that feel more like an Oprah injection than it does about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Shout out, Oprah, no hate on you. But, but, but what I'm trying to say is that there's also going to be persecutions that we have to face that will end up being the sandpaper for our soul that forms us more into the image and the maturity and the stature of Christ. Consideration isn't costly, but discipleship is. Consideration is never costly, but your discipleship. Your, your ability to become more like Christ, it really is. And when you start bridging the gap between those two ideologies, we grow spiritually. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but sneaker culture has gone crazy. Well, I know because I've seen some of y'all feet up in here. I was like, okay, we're not out here playing games in Clarksville. Okay. Okay. Like it's... Sneakers are the new asset. It's the new stock. There's even a website called StockX. 
Actually, I brought a gift that I got recently. This is a brand new pair of Jordans, some J's. Aren't they nice, man? I got these and I was so excited. I just got them like two weeks ago. Look at this. All kind of skin, fake snake skin, ostrich. <laughs> I think this is alligator. I'm going to call these my Carabaskian Jordans. <laughs> Yo, dog, you got them Carol Baskins yet? (laughs) (laughs) Sneaker culture is profound. In fact, here's an image of 2020's most popular sneakers. Some of these sneakers can actually retail for over $1,000. They're collector items. You can resell them just like a stock. It's crazy how sneaker culture has blown up. But there's something about sneaker culture that every one of us has to know. Let me tell you what it is. You can't get creases in your sneakers. Mm-mm. Como se dice nur. <laughs> if you ain't got all of this, all up in this, your stuff is going to look rough. So you got to make sure after you wear these bad boys that you make sure there's no crease in it. Why? Because creases devalue the resale. Creases devalue the impact of the sneaker. Now, for those of us who are married, you remember that day you proposed or when you got proposed to, didn't you? I remember proposing to my wife in New York City in Manhattan in this really bougie restaurant. It was really nice. And it was cool and it was romantic and it was awesome. And maybe some of you can remember when you got proposed to. And for those of us that are not married yet, maybe in your mind you have an idea of what you would like it to be like, that it would be memorable, it would be awesome, it would be romantic. Well, a guy went viral a couple of years ago for his engagement to his girlfriend. His girlfriend was beautiful. He was so excited and went and here it is. He like, girl, I love you more than anything. I can't wait. But hold on, let me take off this Jordan first because... I love you more than anything, but these Jordan 11s. It's hilarious because that ring probably costs more than his sneakers. But we see that the value isn't attached to a monetary amount, is it? His value was these Jordans, even though I'm proclaiming I love you, mean more to me in this moment. And I believe that's exactly where we are in a spiritual context. So many of us are willing to give our lives. We're looking at everything else. We say, we don't want anybody else. We want you, Jesus. I'm ready to bow down, but hold on. I don't want to get a crease. And Jesus is looking back and saying, you're professing your love for me. You're trying to make this a moment and you're not even willing to get a crease right now. The question is, do you really love Jesus? Because if you do, there's going to come a crease to your addiction to sports. There's going to be a crease to your addiction to fashion. There's going to be a crease to your political allegiance. There's going to be a crease to your opinion. There's going to be a crease to the way you spend your money. There is going to be a crease. And Jesus is saying, if you are going to bow, you got to fully bow. And the big question for all of us today is, because I believe Jesus would look back at us and say, 
if you're not willing to get a crease for me, how in the world are you going to be willing to be crucified with me? If you've got to dust off the ground before you bow before Jesus, you are not ready to be a disciple. If you've got to get everything in order, if everything's got to be pristine, if everything's got to be right before you decide, I will bow before you. Anything that hinders you from quickly bowing down, anything that slows your knees from getting to the ground, anything that stops your surrender, it proves whether or not you are a disciple. Jesus said, if you don't hate your own father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, you can't be my disciple. So the question is, I know you want to go to the banquet. But can God crease your gym membership? Can God crease the ballet lessons that are taking you away from life groove? Can God crease your spending habits so that you can make a difference in the lives of people that are impacted by Hurricane Ida. Can God crease? Because if he can't get a crease out of you, how can he get a crucifixion with you? Paul says it this way. I die daily. I don't just crease. I crucify every single day because I know inside of me I've got to lay things down if Jesus is ever going to pick me up. And if there's anything that I want you to know today is that consideration isn't costly, but discipleship is. Listen to what Jesus says to one man. He says, follow me. The guy says, Lord, I got to go bury my father first. Jesus says, if you're not willing to crease, then let the dead bury the dead. Another comes and says, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me say farewell to my family. Jesus says, oh, is that the case? No one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back and won't get a crease cannot follow me. Listen to me, everybody. Weddings are mutually expensive. My pastor is about to spend a lot of money. It's gonna cost me a lot of money to go to that wedding next week. I'm gonna have to buy tickets. I'm gonna have to kennel my dog. And I hate my dog. <laughs> but my pastor had to rent a hall to invite people to. He had to incur expense, wedding dresses and favors and photographers because the wedding cost him something too. Can I preach the good news or the gospel to you? The gospel says this, that the father sent his one and only son not to be creased, but to be crushed. To be crucified, why? Because the banquet that you and I have access to, it cost Jesus his life. It's mutual, but here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. I may have to buy tickets to American, to, on American Airlines to go there and you deal with the Delta variant, JetBlue variant, United Airlines variants. And... But the gospel says everything is already paid for you, for you. You don't have to pay anything. But the truth of the matter is you're going to have to build and battle. And Jesus gives us the divine cost analysis indicator equation. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and not lose his soul? And I'm asking you that today, life point. I'm asking you, I'm asking you, I'm asking you, I'm asking you. What is it, prophet? 
to just go to church and not be shaped and discipled by the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is it profit to just check the box if Jesus can't transform you? What is it profit if you're the only one that holds on to your gospel and never shares it? What is it profit? I'm over time, I'm over time, I'm over time. If you're a follower of Jesus and you want to participate in a prayer, you're saying, hey, I'm ready to renounce some stuff. I'm not telling you to renounce something. I'm telling you God's calling you to renounce everything. And if you're here and you're saying, I want to participate in that prayer before Pastor Mike comes, before our campus pastors come up, come on, raise your hand, everybody, if you want to renounce something, if you want to be a true, here it is. Let me pray with you, Father, in the name of Jesus, for every person that's raising their hand right now, that's saying they want to be a fully follower, a fully devoted follower of you. Give us strength through the power of the Holy Spirit and not our righteousness, not our obligations, not our own strength to follow you completely. And then for the people that are here in this room or joining us online, if you want to, you can put your hands down now. If you're one of those people that don't know where you land spiritually, but you want to start fresh with God, you used to consider yourself a Christian, you're not a Christian yet, and you know it, raise your hand above your head. Don't be ashamed. All of us have issues. Look at how many people are raising their hands already. If you want to participate in this prayer, this is you praying a prayer for salvation. Here it is. Come on, everybody at LifePoint. I want you to open up your mouth and help us pray with these people. Pray this along with me. Father, I've sinned. I'm sorry. But I believe Jesus died. I believe he rose again so that I can have life abundantly. Fill me with your spirit. Give me strength and I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on and let's celebrate all the people that have made those decisions. Come on.